So, welcome in person. Um, I bought my glasses so I could actually see you all. Wow, fantastic. Uh, so, again, whether you're in person and whether you're online with us, thank you for being with us. And we gather as God's people. We gather after being separated by COVID and we are rejoined, remembered. You can almost feel it. I don't know what you felt like when you came in the car park this morning, but I was a little overwhelmed. I could feel the desire to just run up to people and smile and cry and um, everything all at once. And that attraction to God and to one another as his people, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we have gathered today to declare that God is good and his love endures forever. Now, let's pray. Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, open the windows of heaven over us. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So we just begin our service and luxuriate and wait on the Lord. Let's just enjoy his presence together. We haven't done this for so long. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Lord, thank you that we might not be able to sing, but you sing over us. Sing over us now. Open the windows of heaven. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm... 73. Um, so you saw the prayer meeting. The youth, we've got lots of prayer meetings. They're in, all in the, in the app, the church app, uh, and they're detailed. And very important one tomorrow night, an opportunity, that's the normal youth prayer meeting, but to pray for our new youth pastor. We're immensely sad that Ben and Sarah are leaving. But as I've been able to say to some of you in person, it's as good as it gets. They're leaving at the top of their game. They love us. We love them. Um, and we are blessing them and releasing them. And I hope you've seen the video that's online to advertise for the new youth pastor, and we've already getting some wonderful feedback. So um, it would be great. It's, by the way, having a new youth pastor doesn't happen very often to us. So if you're free tomorrow night, come along and pray, and let's see what God has for us and for our youth, and it's going to be wonderful. Um, I wanted to mention another prayer meeting. I'm going to send details out to you all. We've had a couple of um, quite largely, largely attended prayer meetings where a large number of you came in Zoom. Anyone remember those about praying for places and spaces? It's exciting to be back here, but we feel God has really been starting to speak to us as we come out of COVID about the places and spaces that we meet in. For us, for our community ministries and for youth and other things that happen. Our local authority have an openness at this time in approaching us and wanting to partner with us and explore places. So it's been wonderful to have those prayer meetings and the pr lots of prophetic words that people have shared. Um, and behind the scenes, we're continuing those relationships and we've got a team of people that are working together for planning and exploring and surveying. Um, but we want prayer to be the thing that guides us and leads us for God to speak to us. So our next Places and Spaces prayer meeting is Monday the 29th of June. 
last Monday in June, and we're going to do it in person. And, then, and what we're going to do is we're going to meet in Trinity Square. It's opposite Waterstones. And there'll be a chance to go round uh, the, town, the high street uh, and a few other places that we feel God's highlighted to just pray, to pray outside places and listen to the Lord and see what he says to us. And again, this is one of those times in the history of the church where something of this scale doesn't happen very often. So we have worked very hard to make sure there is no football that night. Um, and we'd love as many of you, if this is your church, to come with us and pray and we'll listen to the Lord. God is on the move. He has great things for us to press into. And I hope you'll come and join us on the 29th. And um, that's always in your app now. And I'll be sending something out to you about that later today. So Psalm 73. Let me read this to you. And you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Their callous hearts, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay cling to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. Now, let's thank goodness that the psalm doesn't finish there. <laughs> Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure, and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like this, I'll just say here, there's a rhetorical device here from the psalmist. The psalmist is doing that thing saying, I'm not saying I said all that, but if I had said that, yeah? <laughs> I could have said that, and he sort of did. But this is what he really wants to say. If I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth? There's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Amen. We're in a series called Reset, if you remember that. And I introduced it 
um, a few weeks ago. Um, Bev and I were in a Zoom meeting, where else, with a bunch of Vineyard National Church leaders, who, and some, uh, one of them had been in a meeting of some other national leaders between denominations, and there was a word, a prophetic word, that was shared, and it really resonated with us, and it helped shape this series. And the idea, the, the, the word was that, you know, when you have a mobile phone, sometimes you have to do a hard reset, if ever you've done that. And it wipes everything off. It's very annoying because then you have to put all your bits back on and all the preferences that you had. And the word was really that, that, that God wanted to use COVID as an opportunity to do a hard reset for his people and the church. That in some way God is a little weary of, wanting, of us wanting to him to conform to our preferences when he is the maker. And the invitation was to hit the reset button. And say, Lord, your preferences, not mine. And we were mulling that over as a preaching team, and we thought, where's a good place for us? As we come, and we were hoping we, by the summer we'd be coming out of COVID, and we seem to be, which is wonderful. And that God would reset us. Because life before COVID wasn't a bed of roses, was it? It wasn't all peace and calm and tranquility and a lack of busyness. Anyone remember life before COVID? problem is we've become like the Egyptians. That's another metaphor we've looked at, crossing the Red Sea. Some of us long for those days, don't we? I long for the busyness and tiredness of COVID. But I remember what it was like. Too often where our lives were not being lived with the purposes of God. Too often where we weren't at peace. Too often where we were harried and worried and stretched thin. And now is the time. And God says, will you let me reset you? So I wondered how your reset is going. How's it going? A parent spoke to me the other day. I'm glad I haven't got... I'll tell you what, I'm so glad I haven't had little kids in COVID. I might have had fewer of them at the end of it than at the beginning. It was difficult enough having kids when there wasn't COVID. Um, Bless you as parents. But this parent says to me, I don't know how it's happening. I'm in the car again, rushing around to a whole load of things again. Things that I said I wasn't going to rush around to do again. How does that happen? Oh, there's a lot of you nodding your heads. Because you see, old habits die hard. And our old self, scripture would say, our old, old man in the King James Version is ready to be reactivated and do all the things that we used to do that we swore we would never do when we came out of COVID. So how are you? How's your reset? Are you busy? Where's your attention? Where are your emotions? Is this moment, it's one of the things I've been struck by and I've been sharing uh, with you as a church, regularly online and in emails and WhatsApp and social media and all the other places we try to connect. It's just so nice to be able to talk to you in person, isn't it? Oh, I've missed this. This is a moment in history, but God is Lord of history. Jesus is Lord of history. God is not surprised by what we have been through. And is this a moment that we will seize? Or will we as God's people have it pass us by? Will the summer just be a chance for food and holidays and then go, oh, what has God been doing? Or is God front and center at this moment as tired as we might be, are we determined to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us? And I do, I want to be telling my, I've told you I want to be telling my grandchildren. Say, Granddad, 
There's no pressure on my daughter to have any kids just yet. But soon we'll be good. Granddad. Granddad. What was COVID like? But the question I want to hear them, because I, I long for my grandchildren and praying that they will grow up and know Jesus. And I want them to say, Granddad, what was Jesus doing? Tell us again what God did. Tell us what he did with his people. Tell us what happened afterwards. I want to be part of that story. So we come to the Psalms, this reset. The Psalms have been declared through church history as the prayer book of the church. They have everything in it about life and death and grief and suffering and joy and transformation and repentance and holiness and anger and resentment and fear and faith. The Psalms are our reset. And today we come to my favorite Psalm, Psalm 73. It's my favorite psalm, a friend who's a designer um, for my 40th birthday, I think, which now seems a very long time ago. Oh, my goodness. Um, had, it, had a beautiful thing made up of Psalm 73. And this, this psalm is the first psalm I became a Christian just as I was turning 17. And, it's the f- and I started to read the Bible. I'd never read the Bible. And it's the first psalm I came across. It's the first bit of the Bible I remember reading where it felt like it was reading me. You ever had the experience of the Bible? And at that time, my father had abandoned us. My mum was in bed with the depression. I'm looking after my younger brother. I've just become a Christian. And I remember vividly how the relationship I had with my youth pastor. It's one of the, um, I lean into that space as I pray for our youth at the minute. And I remember how important he was to me. I'd never had a youth pastor, but he was away on holiday. And I was really struggling that week. The first, the, the glow of becoming a new Christian was starting to wear off a bit. And I was having to face up to life. And I remember those struggles I was facing. And I remember reading this psalm. And I remember how I went, that's me. That's what life is like. And I remember walking to church that Sunday and praying this psalm. God, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are my strength. Prayed that as a 17-year-old. I'll tell you what, I have prayed that. A lot this last year as a 52-year-old. <laughs> my flesh and my heart may fail. And what I want to share with you this morning is that the psalmist makes a descent with us, takes us through three layers, three steps. And the first one is this. It's, and by the way, there's a um, fill-in notes handout on your app for this. And the psalmist, he, uh, Asaph, uh, is attributed to this psalm. Three layers for life, for our reset And he begins with the first one, our circumstances, which is the where. So again, in your your app, there's handout notes today, and you can make notes in there. He begins with the where, the circumstances. Where am I at? And that's where the Psalms call us to begin, with the where and the what is happening to us, and to bring that to God, and the psalmist does. And then we're going to see he takes us into the how, After what is happening to me, how am I in the midst of that? How am I responding? How am I dealing with this or not dealing with what's happening in my life? And then he makes a third move, an even deeper move, and he goes to who am I? Where am I? How am I? Who am I? 
Those are the three things we're going to look at today. We'll spend a little bit more time on the where am I, because Asaph does in the Psalms. Um, and then we'll move into how and finish with the who. Now, did you know that Brits, apparently, I don't know how someone ever quantifies this. I guess they, uh, yeah, I don't even know. But um, apparently Brits spend four months of their life talking about the weather. <laughs> Seem about right? I thought it was a bit on the low side. Feels a bit on the low side, doesn't it, in total. Right, I went to the barbers yesterday. Do you like my head? Is it looking good? I found, I've discovered it because, you know, I hadn't been to a barber since I was about 29 because all this fell off. And then I've, my beard has grown in COVID. I've grown it in COVID. It's gone white and my wife loves it, which is a really good thing. So anything she likes is good. But then I thought, or oh, maybe now I've got some hair again, that's one of the benefits of getting older. You get more hair in other places. Um, she said, why don't you go to the barbers? I thought, I haven't been to the barbers for 20 years. So I found a really nice barber, and I've gone to the barber, and there's a hot towel and all this stuff and all fancy things to make you spend a lot more money. Um, and it was brilliant. And then I'm looking at the barbers, and talk about multicultural. I was watching all these men come in with, and, and older men and younger men, with just, I was in awe of these full heads of hair. But all these different nationalities. There was someone from Korea, someone from Nepal. Uh, the people that were there were from Kurdistan. There was someone from Syria who came in. An Indian man came in. And we were all sitting there. And I was looking at the remarkable diversity in the barbers. Because one of the things they were all doing was saying to each other, where are you from? Nobody asked me where I was from. <laughs> I felt a bit left out. <laughs> Figured out where I was from just by looking at me. And listening to my voice. So that was amazing. But do you know what they all talked about? The weather. For about, for most of the time. Oh, wasn't it hot yesterday? Oh, didn't like that rain. <laughs> What's the weather like in Nepal? <laughs> What's it like in, in Kurdistan? What's it, what's it like in the weather? It's a safe thing to talk about. I just, it made me chuckle because I'd prepared this in advance of today and I thought, here are these people who've lived in our country a long time and they know if you want to be British, you just talk about the weather. And then they got onto football. Oh. I don't have much love for football. I know some of you do. But um, the Lord bless those of you who are going to face great disappointments in the next <laughs> few weeks. And may he, Tom Miles, may the Lord sustain you, brother. I see Tom at the front there. Uh, be interceding for brothers and sisters who will have hopes beyond realistic expectations. Um, anyway, now verse 1 and 2 of this psalm, he talks about having lost his foothold. The image he's using here and the language is of, of climbing a mountain. And this is used a lot in scripture. I mean, places to meet God would be to go and climb a mountain. You and I know some of the most beautiful places where you, we would say a thin space. You've been to a place and thought, oh, Wow, I've stood on a mountain top in New Zealand at the end of what feels like the end of the world and been in awe looking at stars and galaxies, having climbed a mountain, God's creation. And the psalmist is using this, this language and this metaphor and saying that moving towards God is like climbing a mountain, hard work sometimes. You ever found faith hard work? Put one foot in front of the other? Jesus tells us to climb a mountain. 
He tells us to pick up our cross and walk daily with him. To walk. And he talks about having almost lost his foothold. And there's this beautiful spiritual picture right at the beginning about faith and our relationship with God, about the challenge of losing faith and struggles and doubts and fears. They're the things that make us stumble. And he goes on immediately to tell us all the things that have made him almost lose his footing. Now, have any of you ever been on a treadmill at a gym? Anybody here? Audience participation. I can see people going... Is that like, I like you like too embarrassed to admit that you've ever been on a treadmill? Or you think no one, if they see you do this, they won't believe that you've ever been on a treadmill? I've been on a treadmill, you probably won't believe it, right? Now, those, there's a lot of hands. Those of you who've been on a treadmill, what happens when you don't look forwards, when you're trying to plug in your iPod or put your headphones in or watch somebody else. What happens to you? What have you done? Come on. It all goes wrong. What happens? You take your foot off the belt that's moving and... Yeah? Whoosh. One of the most dangerous things to do on a treadmill is not keep looking. Because what happens is human beings, we are wired to go where we look. Do you know that? Our eyes a high definition in the middle, our brains, our heads, everything, our physiology about us is wired for us to go where we look. If you're learning to shoot a gun, you have to, you have to look where you want the thing to go. If you're playing golf, do we have any golfers here? One of the things you, I mean, I had some golfing lessons and gave it very quickly. I realised I'd have to practice for a million years to get any better. There's no such thing as a quick game of golf, by the way. And I remember the instructor saying, don't look at the ball! Look where you want it to go. I did lots of motorcycle lessons, similar thing. How are we wired? One of the worst things to do on a motorbike is to look at the lorry that you don't want to hit because you will go straight for it. We are wired to go where we look, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the psalmist is saying, and what we see him immediately do is, he shows us what he's been looking at that has made him lose his footing. I nearly lost my foothold because I've been looking at all these things and it made me slip. And we look around us, we look what's happening to us and maybe we get lost by it. And the psalmist is wonderful. One of the reasons I love the Bible is he's so honest. He says, why? Why are bad things happening to me but not my evil next-door neighbour. Have you ever wondered, have, have, how many of you this year, if you were honest, have heard about something good happening to someone and a little bit inside you has gone, hmm. You know, that person that's got that job that was just perfectly made for COVID, where it, their life has been nothing but more money and more space and more time. Do you have any friends like that? I do. And I go home and I go, hmm. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it's easy to envy others, isn't it? The psalmist is honest. But more than that, the psalmist presses into some pretty strong stuff about his circumstances. And he says it's, it's not just that good things happen to other people, but he's saying God's people, faithful people, people like me that have said, God, I'm going to follow you. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Have you ever wondered that for yourself? If you haven't yet, at some point, you will as a follower of Jesus. And we compare and we look at others and we have disappointments and doubts. And one of the ways that we often deal with doubts and disappointments is to just deny them. Some Christians are horrendous at struggles in their life. They just pretend they're not happening until they accumulate so much that they explode in their lives. Maybe that's happened to you at some point or you know Christian friends that's happened with. Or the other way, to just get lost in them and swallowed up by them and consumed by them. And the psalmist here, Asaph, says, here's where we begin to be honest with God. And have you noticed verses 4 to 12? He lists his comparing, his envy and lack and disappointments. He lists them all honestly before God. And he gets to verse 13 and he says, has it all been a waste of time? Has my faith and trust in God been a waste of time? And you know what? This thing about circumstances is where most people spend their whole lives and never get be- never mind Christians, never get beyond the what is happening to them. I, I noticed the other day, this isn't a Jeremiah ad, but I was, was waiting for my daughter. We were in Morrison's together getting some shopping. And, um, and I remember walking around, they've got a section there with all the newspapers and then all the tabloidy magazines. And I remember wandering around them, and they were just about plastic surgery, diets, celebrity, you know, clickbait from, you know, the, I don't know, alpha, beta, gamma variation of COVID from some country no one's ever heard of is going to come and destroy you. I mean, it was just, it's just sensationalism everywhere. Not one wonderful, noble, kind, good thing. All surface. Envy, disappointments. If I, if I looked better, if I looked different, if I had a new partner or a different job or a church or better friends, my life would be better. And you know what? The Bible tells us again and again and again that God is utterly concerned about our circumstances. Jesus himself says, God cares about sparrows. If he cares about sparrows, he cares about you. And he knows how many hairs are on your head. Which in my case, as we know, is not a lot. God cares. So here's a diagnostic for us. We're just dwelling on this one so that we can... I felt the Lord say, could we be honest as we gather today about our circumstances? It's okay to be honest about them. And not be in denial. And it's also, we don't have to be consumed by them. But to start with, God, I hate this. I'll tell you what. I still hate the fact that on Christmas Day, I had to do Zoom with my daughter. It may be the last Christmas, because she's getting married. And there is a part of me that goes, oh Lord, why should I? And he goes, it's all right for you to miss that, Jason. That was supposed to be the last special Christmas before her new married life. And I was, I was doing, oh Lord, it doesn't matter. And the Lord said, of course it matters. Tell me about it. Be honest with him. Here's the diagnostic to know whether you are living mostly in your circumstances. I'll move on in a moment. Look at your prayers. Your prayers are the most obvious thing in life. Whatever we pray for shows what we are living out of. That's it. 
If I wanted to know what was going on in your life or you want to know what's going on in my life, listen into my prayers because it will tell you where my attention is and my concerns are. And if our prayers are always about stuff or things or what or circumstances, that's where we're living. Another little thing, again, I, want, I really felt going to say is just not rush through this to the obvious spiritual answer because a lot of us are stuck here in some challenging circumstances. You know, what happens when you hear the news that a friend's inherited a lot of money? Sometimes we might think, oh, because we think with that changing circumstance comes amazing freedom that we wish we had, or someone wins the lottery. Or have you, have you noticed how we can easily reach for stories? And I certainly have, in, even amongst my Christian friends. You know, it's so easy to reach for the story of the entrepreneur who started up a business, who exited it and has just made millions. And everyone goes, isn't that amazing? And I feel like Jesus would say, what's so amazing about that? It's amazing if that's what you want life to be. But that's the common currency that is the force around us that tells us the measure of life and what real freedom is. It tells us that freedom is about having more of everything so we don't have to worry about anything. And I told you I'd focus on this section. I've just been rereading the Sermon on the Mount and I hope you got to take part in The Chosen. We did that as an invitation through the church earlier this year to watch the TV series. And, I, and I've been saving up the second season. I don't want to, I'm going to binge it all um, on holiday. But I have looked at some sneak peeks of the bit on the Sermon on the Mount and have been rereading that. And here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the embodiment of everything that has come for thousands of years before and with the thousands of the poorest people under Roman occupation. And he stands up and he does not validate their circumstances and say, yeah, let's overturn the Romans. Tell you what, let's have a new political party. Let's get rid of the Pharisees. It's kind of shocking what Jesus does to these people. He, he does validate their circumstances, but he doesn't say, let's change your what. He starts with this. Blessed are the poor, because they shall inherit something much better. Blessed are the meek. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most scandalous sermons in history caused a great deal of joy to some of the people hearing it and a great deal of distress to those who thought that isn't how life works. And Jesus starts there and he says there is a different way to live in the world. That the reason we have COVID, the reason we have problems in the world, the reason our circumstances overwhelm us and lead to everything from early death to wars in history are because human beings from Adam and Eve decided to focus on their circumstances. And Jesus comes to bring a different way of life. So that's the first one and the big one. These other two will be much shorter. Second thing, how am I? Now this is the challenge to get beyond looking at the what and blaming other people for it or my circumstances and start to look inwards. I had an experience of this myself with the Lord just as I've been digging in with him. 
And, I've, and he's been inviting me to revisit what I feel is some of the lack in my life. And I've got a spiritual director I meet with and I've been doing some Bible readings and praying and, and sitting. And, and I felt the Lord say to me, Jason, do you remember when your dad left? I was like, well, it's hard to forget that one, Lord. He goes, do you remember how you felt at the time? I went, yeah. He said, do you mind if I show you something? It's one of those where, the, where God speaks to me when I know he's really speaking to me. It's like a really quick conversation in my head. And I know it's not me talking to myself. I know the difference between me talking to myself and the Lord reflecting something to me. Some of you are nodding. And he said, do you trust me? And I went, yes, sort of. <laughs> if God says, do you trust me? It's like, buckle up. He says, I want to show you something. And I was like, taken back to the moment hard to forget when you're 16 and a 14-year-old brother and a one-year-old brother and uh, a dad has been working abroad and he said, told me that he was leaving in a very not particularly kind, caring way. And I remember the devastation and the anxiety and the fear about my future and I was the oldest son and how I'd have to take responsibility for everything and I remember how crushing that was. Awful circumstances. And the Lord said to me, you've been living out that too long. And he showed me how, and I, I, I've, I've, I've been able to see that since I became a Christian, but he showed me again how he was at work in my life even then as my heavenly father. And boy, that was hard to take on. Really, Lord? But then he gave me a piece of revelation as I sat with him with the, would I trust him? He says, he says, now tell me what you really felt like about that circumstance. And these words came out of my mouth out loud. I said, Lord, I felt like I wasn't enough. I wasn't enough. Obviously wasn't enough as a son. Because what kind of father would leave a son if their son was enough to fight for, work for, take care of? I wasn't enough. As soon as those words came out, I was like, oh. And then God was so gracious because he said this to me. He said, you know, Jason, it was never anything to do with you. You just happened to be there. And it was so freeing that I'd been carrying subconsciously all these years and living out of something in me in response to my circumstance that I wasn't enough. And I was enough. And God reminded me that I was enough and he was involved in my life. I was just collateral damage to my father's attention on the circumstances of his life. And he just wanted to flee abroad and have a different life. And he wasn't thinking about me at all. He didn't leave because of me. Circumstances can be painful. And I share that story because this is the place. Otherwise, these are just trite concepts. Oh yeah, my circumstances. Then how am I responding and the psalmist wants to take us to that place in our circumstances. Verse 21 and 22 in the psalm. And he wants us to go to the place where we are, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. He's saying, be honest with me. Go all the way into your circumstance with me. Don't hold anything back. What was it like? What is it like? What's swirling around? 
And again, a diagnostic here. Maybe we pray here, I don't want to feel like this, or we avoid things. The undercurrents of the strongest emotions that we have and the most difficult thoughts that we have. And this place, the how am I, is about our habits and our character. It's the level where we are invited to make a choice. You know, like I said, the Lord said to me, Jason, do you trust me? The psalmist is saying, do we trust him? And there is a moment when we can say, yes, Lord, and let him minister to us in that place. Or we go, not today, Lord. Maybe next week or after this. In verse 23 and 24, we see the psalmist say, yes, Lord, I trust you. And then he's the sudden transformation, the acceleration out of the psalm. I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. It's a very different place than the rest of the psalm, isn't it? I think I've already mentioned Philippians 3, verse 12. And Paul writes, I take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. So let me finish this bit here with that. Um, bit from Paul in Philippians what has hold of you at the moment in your circumstances if we could bring you up here and if you could just pause and go what am I feeling where is it in my body is it here but there wasn't Pete's mum great the other week she got us to pause and breathe and, and stand before God sit before God and think about our breath and our bodies that carry the things of life. Right now, if you could, if, you had a, if we had the time, what is it? What is it? Did I disappear? Oh, I'm back. Was I getting boring, Mark? Cut me off. <laughs> and Paul reminds us that if we let God, if we let Jesus, there are things of God that can take hold of us that are far more powerful than the other things that have hold of us? Do we want to make the trade? Lastly, and the shortest point of all, who am I? But the psalmist goes on. Not just where am I or how am I, he goes into who am I? Underneath our circumstances, under the way that we respond to them and the decisions that we make is the core of who we really are in our identity. Beyond the where and what I am and in, underneath even the how I am is the who am I. The truth is you and I already live out of a who we are right now. We already do. If you want to know who you really are, ask your husband or wife or partner if you have one. They can quickly tell you. Who are you really when no one else is looking, when you're not presenting an image at work or even for people at church? Who are you, who are you when the lights are out? The only question is, who are we? And this is where the psalmist takes us to and says, if we want everything to change, who we are is the thing that changes everything. So you know that little personal story I told you about my there is a circumstance I carry because of the neglect of my parents. But when I let God work in the place of realizing that he is my father and that I am good enough, suddenly everything changes. How I respond to life changes. And then how I respond to life means God can bring better things into my life. So let me use an analogy to finish. I've used this one before. Um, I'm not a smoker. 
Um, but I imagine it must be very hard if you are a smoker and try to give it up. I've actually seen people in those things called pubs. We're back in those, aren't we now? But when you used to be able to go to a pub um, more regularly and have a meal, and, and I've sort of seen the agony of someone who's trying to give up smoking when someone says to them, do you want one? And they go, no, I'm trying to give up. Now, what goes on in that moment is if you're a smoker trying to give up smoking, you've got a battle. You're reminded of the habit that you've had for years. Do we have any ex-smokers here? There you go. Was, was it difficult when someone said, do you want a cigarette? Yeah, a lot of you are nodding because you're like, no! <laughs> um, now, I'm a non-smoker. If someone ever says to me, Jason, do you want a cigarette? I don't even have to think about what I say. The words come out of my mouth, no. There's no desire. There's no attachment. There is no, oh, should I or shouldn't I? And this is the same thing in our faith and place and space. This is why for some of us, we can come here, you can come here today, be moved, think, okay, my circumstances, go through to identity, and we can go out the car park and still do the things, like Paul says in Romans 7, that we still don't want to do. Because until we change in the place of who we are, then what we do is easy. Easy to respond. Um, two ways Christians in history have tried to deal with this. One of them is to deal with their circumstances. They've tried to be legalistic. Never works. If I, if I cut myself off from things, if I, all the things that I want, if I say no to them and no to them and no to them, and legalism and moralism, it's horrendous and it's dis destroying and it's not life-giving. And it doesn't work because what legalism does and moralism, it makes the things that you shouldn't want, it makes you want them even more. Have you noticed that? But when you become different and when you love something different, you're like the non-smoker who goes, I'm not even interested in that. I don't need that. I don't want that. So my last analogy is this to land this. If you're struggling to connect to this at that level. And I would use the analogy of like my wife. I love my wife. Now when I sat down with my wife, I didn't sit down when we got engaged at 19, married at 21 with a spreadsheet about how we were man going to manage to get married and organize our lives. I just knew love would make a way. I might have been naive, but I tell you what, my life organized itself around my love. It did, because it had to. And everything that I did was around that decision. When I had children, there's one of them at the, sitting at the back there, 27 now, I still remember walking into Sutton with her thinking, how am I gonna pay for this little creature now? Overwhelmed at the expense of buying how much for a pram at 21? And I remember praying and I remember saying, God, I'll do whatever it takes for this little bundle of joy that I love with all my heart. And that's the place that God wants us to get with him. That's where the psalmist ends up. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the great joy, delight. You are my life. And if I hide myself in you and trust you, everything will take care of itself. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus calls us to. And that is verse 25, 26, the finish. But as for you, sorry, verse 28, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. So, what's the time? Oh, 
Can I show you a video to finish? Got a few minutes, best to finish it at 11.30. Oh, we're going to have the worship team back in a moment, and they're going to come back. Actually, worship team, you can come up. Um, and then we're going to have time for prayer and ministry. Um, I just want to highlight again with you an opportunity that's available for you. We have a thing called Powerful Conversations. Any of you remember that? Talked about it on Sundays and it's been in your app and we've played some videos. But if you haven't caught it, we're going to have something to show you again. Because you see, one of the most challenging things about this talk, this psalm, is if we will enter into, the psalmist invites us into a conversation. And the problem is it's easy to go away on our own and just live with all the things that are happening. And one of the things we can do is to, is to sit down with someone who knows how to get close to God, to that place and space in us, and help us with questions and listen. What's going on in your life? How are you responding? And who does God want you to be in this season? And there's the invitation. We have a team of people in our church who have spent a year training to do these conversations and to listen and help people meet with God. And I would invite you that there is an invitation, there are other ways to do it, but this is one, to not get through all of this and go, I've just ended up over here and I don't know how I got there. But have a powerful conversation. Can we play the video? I was sort of drifting really in that role like, and I wanted to get a kind of reset, a refocus on where my life was heading and where I was with the Lord as well. Um, well, I'd, I'd heard that powerful conversations were a really good way of thinking about and talking about and moving forwards in situations that um, you might feel a bit stuck in or um, have concerns about or and want to hear more from God about. I wanted to actually have some space in order to allow God to speak to me and to just lay those things before him. The powerful conversations just seemed a, a good option for doing that. Just to focus our minds on what we want. You know, so an idea of what you think God's saying to you at the moment, um, what you want to achieve, what's going on in your life, what's your strengths. He just then asked some questions that really sort of prompted me to think about different sort of areas and different possibilities and different things I might do. There was a lot more clarity. So at the end I came away with um, a little action plan. We kind of came up with goals and actions to take. As a way of redirecting your, your focus, both in your life and, and career and for the Lord as well. It is a conversation, it's an opportunity to get things uh, spoken that you may not otherwise speak out and uh, you're just opening yourself to allow God to speak into those situations. felt a lot more, uh, I guess, peaceful and more confident about my situation. It was, okay, this is the start of something quite exciting. And I could instantly feel like this is not a coincidence. This is uh, God saying, get ready to go. You've been resting, get ready to go. So yeah, I think it's something that is worth doing. I'd really recommend having one. I, I would recommend it to, to anyone. It might help refresh and focus you, especially as we now start to come out of COVID.